Hi there. Welcome to Wooden Teeth. My name's Jake Williams. I'm happy to be back with you after a bit of a break. I hope you're having a happy new year. Maybe you got a bonus or a raise at the end of last year. You're going to be earning a little bit more here in 2019. I wanted to talk about a group of folks who aren't going to be probably making more money this year and really haven't been making more money for decades. And what I'm talking about are the people at the bottom of the wage scale, the people who earn minimum wage. If you take a look at inflation-adjusted federal minimum wage today, it's actually less than it was 50 years ago. The reality is that most of the wage gains that we've seen in the U.S. in recent decades have gone to earners at the top end. So what effect, if any, has this had on Americans' health? I don't see this question asked enough uh, in media. And so when I saw a piece last October in Health Affairs called uh, Effects of Minimum Wages on Population Health, it caught my attention. So I rang up one of the authors of that piece, Jay Paul Lee, and he is our guest on the pod today. Uh, Professor Lee focuses on health economics at UC Davis, and we talk about how wages affect health, and it might not be quite as straightforward as you think. For example, if you consider a scenario in which a lower wage earner earns an increased amount of money, that person could theoretically use that money to buy good stuff for health, say nutritious food, or they could use that money to buy bad stuff for health, uh, for example, alcohol. So which of those scenarios tends to win out? That's one of the questions that we discuss on the pod. Uh, similarly, a common political objection to raising minimum wages is that it leads to job loss, which may also cause a decline in health. So when these wages are increased, are jobs really lost? And are unemployed people actually less healthy? The answers might surprise you. I can tell you that I was surprised. But before we dive into those questions, we talk a bit about why it's taken so long for researchers to do this sort of cross-sectoral research in the first place. And I'll just leave the preview there. It's a good one. Let's get to my interview with Jay Paul Lee. So I, I came across your piece in Health Affairs on the effects of minim, minimum wage that you authored um, alongside your colleague, uh, Juan Du. And my first question for you is, what caused you to tackle this topic in particular? Well, um, I've been very interested in the social determinants of health for many years. And um, my earlier research involved uh, looking at the role of education and people getting more years of schooling and the effects ultimately on their health later in life. And I've also done work on um, occupational safety and health. So the idea that your job's uh, exposure to chemicals and risk can have some effect on your health. So I've done a fair amount of work on the role of education on health and the role of uh, occupations and jobs on health. And it, was, it seemed just kind of a natural um, extension of earlier work to look at wages. And um, it turns out that there's, of course, an awful lot of literature on income, family income and health, but um, not as much, nearly as much on wages and health, and not as much even 
smaller subset of uh, on uh, minimum wages and health. Why do you think that is? Because we're combining here two different fields. Uh, the okay. research on minimum wages is in, uh, primarily in economics and labor economics. I'm trained as a labor economist. And in labor and economics, they're thinking in terms of the um, effects of minimum wages on employment and work hours, um, income inequality and poverty and, and economic variables, which makes perfect sense. What I think happened is nobody even it didn't occur to economists to think, well, there may be some health effect here. So economists really haven't done much work on this, at least prior to 2015. And in the public health and epidemiology literature, they have hardly even done any work on minimum wages. They've done an awful lot of work on incomes, but they they haven't refined it down to wages, much less uh, minimum wages. It's just that the, that's the way the public health and epidemiology fields have developed, and that's the way that economics have developed. They really haven't seen the crossover there. And this is crossover research. It combines economics with public health. Yeah, I was um, recently speaking to um, some students and uh, professors um, at a university in New York, and in the course of conversation, um, you know, some ideas and questions came up around the need for more kind of cross-sectoral um, study uh, when it comes to public health. Um, you know, right now we're talking about you know cross-sectoral study between economics and public health. And in the course of the conversation I'm referencing, it was about um, public policy and uh, public administration and, and public health. Is this sort of kind of cross-sector? Um, research and collaboration, something you're seeing more of or, or not really? Oh, I think you're seeing a lot more of it. That's interesting that you were telling me about that. Uh, no, there's a whole initiative now. The American Public Health Association calls Health in All Things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've probably heard of that. Yes, but for those of us listening that, that, that don't know about it, uh, tell us more. Well, it's just the idea of um, let's, let's have a broader view of uh, what may cause good health or bad health. I think it's called health and all policies. That's right, yeah. So the traditional things of, um, well, in sociology, they're concerned with uh, discrimination, for example. And so this health and all policies would be, well, well what's the role of the discrimination might play in affecting health? And certainly in economics, there's an awful lot of questions involving economics here because there's a lot of research in economics on the um, earned income tax credit. Mm-hmm. And the, the research in economics on earned income tax credit has looked at the effects on incomes of poor people and the effects on inducing people to come back to work because it uh, provides a wage subsidy, basically, uh, and the effects on reducing poverty. So these are traditional economic questions. And just in the last five years or so, uh, people, Hillary Hoynes, for example, decided to look at, well, what is the effect of the earned income tax credit on some measures of um, health? And she was looking at pregnant moms who were, who had access to medical care and finds, she finds that if you increase the earned income tax credit, that uh, these pregnant moms are going to make more use of prenatal care and they're, it turns out their babies are healthier and they're heavier. Prevalence of low birth weight is, um, drops as a result of increasing the earned income tax credit. So certainly, yes, I would say in the last five years or more, there's been increasing attention to policy, to social policy, to economic policy that traditionally has been within 
sociology and uh, geography and political science and economics and the and the roles of um, those policies may have on measures of public health. So it's definitely a lively and rapidly rapidly growing area for research. And you know these are these are cross sectoral studies that cross the boundaries of you know academic departments. But do you think that also politics and culture um, also play a role here in terms of what has been up until perhaps recently a reticence to connect something like wages with health effects? Well, of course, politics plays a role in, in so many things. I mean, what I mean specifically is, you know, there's this idea of individual responsibility, both when it comes to earning what you earn and taking care of oneself as a means to determining the, the quality and ultimately the length of your life and, you know, expanding, you know, one's understanding beyond that construct would, I would think, lead to the realization that you should perhaps do things like study the effect of wages on health. Oh, I see. Well, certainly, yeah, individual response, I guess uh, from the individual responsibility point of view, you could argue that, well, your health is your responsibility. And so you therefore need to see the doctor or you need to stop smoking or watch your weight or exercise and so on. So it's a personal responsibility from personal responsibility point of view, which it was certainly influenced by politics. I, uh, I imagine, yes, you're right. That then, so that means that um, these other social determinants of health, uh, like discrimination or income or schooling or even occupations are not as uh, important. So I guess, yes, from a personal responsibility point of view, that these social determinants of health are, you know, have not been much uh, thought about. But, of course, we know certainly um, from economics and elsewhere that incomes and wages um, have real effects on people. And uh, we know from uh, sociology and elsewhere that uh, incomes and wages uh, have effects on on fertility and on marriage rates and um, so many other things. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose politics has, has uh, had some influence on whether people do or do not pursue this line of research. So one of the avenues that you go down uh, in the piece for health affairs is that higher wages make it possible to afford both positive and negative things for your health. And what, what did you find? How does that balance out or not? Well, the um, piece in health affairs, a lot of it is based upon uh, an article that was recently published in Preventive Medicine. And it's um, that article that's in Preventive Medicine is a literature review. It's a systematic uh, literature review with a meta-analysis. Uh, so it involved uh, more than a year and a half of work, of work basically, <laughs> trying to get all the literature together and uh, to crunch the numbers. But in developing that literature review, we analyzed what the prevailing theories were with regard to the effects of wages on health. And, and of course, the most obvious one is that uh, if you increase the wage, you're increasing incomes, and increasing incomes can affect your consumption and use of goods and services. So, for example, I mean, if you increase income, then you can afford, you may be able to afford better food. You can certainly afford a uh, 
cleaner, safer neighborhood. You can afford clean water. You can afford to live uh, near where there are parks and recreations. You can take vacations and things like that. So this is in economics. It's called the income effect. And for the great majority of goods and services, they are what are called normal, which means when your income goes up, you can buy more of them. Uh, and that includes, of course, medical care, right? seeing the doctor and buying health insurance. So uh, at first blush, you would imagine, well, if you increase wages, then people are going to be able to buy more of these things, and that's a good thing. That should be good for their health. I mean, that's fairly obvious. There's so much literature showing that, especially for poor people, if uh, incomes go up, that they do have they're able to buy more nutritious foods, clean water, uh, afford better neighborhoods and safety and so on. Uh, there's overwhelming evidence in the, indicating that. But there are goods and services that are not good for you, like smoking and excessive drinking and drug use, what have you. You could say, okay, well, if the wage goes up, then people can um, afford to buy more cigarettes. Right. So obviously the income goes up, then that's going to harm your health. But it turns out that that doesn't always work out that way. So, for example, with um, the, most, the most significant finding we, we found, by the way, was that uh, when wages increased, when the minimum wage increased, that uh, people smoked less. And it turns out in economics there's a long literature um, outside of looking strictly at wages that finds this. And that this is uh, the example of what are called inferior goods. And cigarettes are a classic example of that, which is that if your income rises, people do tend to smoke less. In fact, if you look at the correlations uh, around the United States, there's a strong correlation between rising income and falling cigarette prevalence or falling smoking prevalence. This was not entirely surprising finding. It's just that we did find that this is what several of the studies were showing with um, minimum wages. So, let's take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about what else you found in your research. Okay, so you found that increasing wages, um, even though that would theoretically empower people to uh, afford things that aren't necessarily good for their health, like cigarettes and fatty foods, you actually found that um, increased wages actually led to decreases in smoking and obesity. What are some of the other conclusions that you came to? Well, there are other, there are other theories here. The income effect is just one of them. Another uh, theory involves job satisfaction. There's significant amounts of uh, significant literature in epidemiology showing that when wages go up, especially for low-income, low-wage people, when wages go up, their job satisfaction goes up. Um, I should say, actually, that's, that literature is in economics. But in uh, epidemiology, what they find is that when job satisfaction goes up, that your, your health, especially mental health, uh, improves, and cigarette smoking drops, and your, uh, there's even evidence on blood pressure um, dropping. But uh, there's a significant amount of literature showing in epidemiology showing that improvements in job satisfaction provide numerous uh, health benefits. So what we did is simply marry those two literatures. From economics, increasing wages leads to higher job satisfaction. And then from epidemiology, increasing job satisfaction leads to better health. So that's another 
theory regarding uh, how wages, uh, increasing wages can influence good health. Another theory has to do with people's uh, position in the social hierarchy or their feelings of self-worth and self-esteem. It turns out that uh, wages are associated with uh, feelings of self-worth and self-esteem. Uh, in general, people with higher wages feel higher levels of self-confidence and self-esteem and self-regard because they're higher in the social hierarchy. And that in epidemiology, that variable, not wages, but the variable of um, feeling of um, high self-regard and self-esteem and so on, uh, that's strongly correlated with many different measures of good health. That makes sense. I mean, what about one thing that, um, one argument that often um, comes out against proposals to raise the minimum wage is that if you raise the minimum wage, then that will lead to job loss. And the negative effect of job loss outweighs the benefit of increased wages for lower income workers. How does, how does consideration of health impact affect that debate back and forth? That's a very important question you raised there. And it turns out a lot of this has been looked at in economics. The bottom line, basically, is that there's no consensus in economics as to the effects of minimum wages on unemployment. But there is at least uh, as many studies that show that there's very little effect on unemployment and work hours as uh, studies that show that there is some effect. But even the studies that show that there is some effect it can be a small amount. So it's the, even the studies that show that there's an effect on unemployment, you're not talking about throwing half the people out of work. You're talking about throwing 10% or less, fewer of the people out of work as a result of the increase in wage. So what this means, this is the most extreme studies on, on that side, which say that, okay, there can be a reduction, let's say, of uh, 5% of employment as a result of some 15% uh, increase in the minimum wage. But what that means is that there's still 95% of the people in jobs still employed that now have a higher wage. So if you add those together, it's kind of an aggregate. Yes, for those 5% of the people uh, that are now unemployed, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, they can have health effects. But for the vast majority of people, when you increase the minimum wage, they do not lose their job. So they'll say 95% of the people still maintain their job, uh, and these people now have higher incomes. And I should say also that there are significant numbers of studies that show that there's very little effect uh, whatsoever. In fact, there is a um, famous study uh, done with a meta-regression where they looked at you know, 50 or more studies, uh, and they found that there was very, very little effect of increasing wages on unemployment. This is published in the British Journal of Industrial Relations. There's another um, United Kingdom uh, English study by a commission there that uh, finds that there's very little effects on unemployment. So then you say, okay, well, let's take the most extreme example where you have a 5% increase or 5% of the people that are lower income in those jobs have lost their jobs. Uh, now, naturally, you would think, okay, this is, can be harmful for their health, and certainly uh, there are studies that show that among people that recently lost their jobs, there, there can be uh, problems with, um, certainly with mental health and other areas. But it turns out in economics that's, that there are studies showing that um, increasing unemployment 
is associated with better health. I don't necessarily subscribe to those, but those are there are studies out there by a fellow named Christopher Room who argues that, well, there can be an increase in unemployment and you can actually have reductions uh, in mortality, well, for a variety of reasons. That it can be that uh, the more leisure time, for example, that is, uh, that is results from increased unemployment, you're now not working. Uh, it could be mm-hmm. that you have more leisure time to take walks or, or just have uh, less stress associated with work. So that's an extremely important question. And uh, I, I think that overall, on balance, uh, even even if you want to say, okay, for those 5% of the people that are now unemployed, they may have worse health, we still have 95% that have better health. Uh, and those two, uh, the 95% is significantly more than the 5% that have lost their jobs. You could go in another direction. You could say, all right, well, let's just say, let's let's look at the effects of Increasing wages strictly on the people that remain employed, and there are there is literature on that also. Well, for example, a paper I did with uh, John Dew, we find that for people that are employed, okay, so you're setting aside your issue of unemployment for people that are employed. Certainly, their wages go up, and it turns out that they uh, their absence from work due to illness drops. And, of course, you have a higher wage, so they have a greater economic incentive to go to work. But what we argue is with uh, effects on smoking and mental health and so on, they're actually in better health when you increase their wage. And if 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 people are in better health, they're more likely to go go to work. Uh, The the variables on absenteeism are strongly correlated with uh, other objective measures of health. So the literature suggests that um, the strongest studies are on people that are maintain their employment, in part because of what the questions that you just raised, which is, you know, you could have some detrimental effect on the health of the people who now become unemployed. But if you restrict attention to only people that stay employed, there are strong positive effects uh, on health. So for this most recent work, you took what exists of the research of uh, health effects that result from uh, minimum wages, which is you know relatively small versus the the, the body of, of work that's been done on the economic effects. What going forward? What um, research topics are you interested in, in pursuing? Uh, well, a number of them. Uh, there are many different measures of health. And for our, our literature review, we found over 20 different measures of health. Um, uh, one, for example, was child abuse. And there are measures of uh, when people report to different agencies that there has been child abuse in the home, uh, the effects of minimum wages on that. There are studies on um, the effects of um, minimum wages on teenage drunk driving, which is very interesting. And this is, shows uh, some negative effects. That is that when teenagers get a higher wage, some of them may drink more and they may drive more. And, of course, uh, this can result in fatalities. There's only one study that shows that. And there's another study that shows, that in fact, that there's no association between increasing minimum wage among teenagers and their re- reporting more binge drinking or uh, excessive drinking. So that's quite a controversial area, but it nevertheless, it's interesting to think, oh, well, maybe there's there are differences in effects 
uh, for teenagers versus uh, adults. Then their effects on um, obesity. We've done one study on obesity and uh, wages, but not specifically on uh, minimum wages. I would, li- I would like to pursue that. There are studies I'd like to pursue looking at um, the effects of minimum wages on overall measures of health. So one overall measure of health, which is very popular, is this kind of uh, subjective measure that just asks people, uh, well, tell me tell me about your health. Are you, are you excellent health? Are you good health? Are you fair uh, or poor? And believe it or not, um, that simple question is incredibly predictive of mortality. Uh, so there's a large literature in epidemiology and public health showing that this one question and the responses to the question, which is just you ask people, well, overall, you think you're in excellent health. Actually, I think it's uh, excellent, very good, good, fair, and poor. So you have five different answers. Uh, and it turns out that um, in large populations, that that variable, the answers to that variable, are very powerful predictors of um, who's going to live or die in the next five or ten years. So I think um, in the um, minimum wage literature, there's room for uh, looking at that question. Uh, Another one that I would really like to look at is the if there are benefits to health from the increase in the minimum wage, then what is the reduction in medical costs? That's a good one. Yeah, so you could have an increase in minimum wage, and then people are going to the hospital less. And, of course, this means, I mean, you know, I'm an old uh, believer in the ounce of prevention and pound of cure business. And so if you, um, you know, increase the minimum wage, this can have an effect on uh, reduction of medical costs. And, of course, everybody, everybody wants a reduction in medical costs. Right. So if we can induce, so if we can generate more health through an increase in minimum wage, then then maybe this can translate into a reduction in medical costs, which are just soaring. What do we have? 18% of our gross domestic product now associated with medical care, and uh, that's uh, we're head and shoulders above every single other country on on the planet. So anything that can reduce uh, medical costs is going to be looked at favorably, uh, regardless of political persuasion. I feel like what you know what these ideas and questions speak to is our overall interest in figuring out how we're doing as a population, as, as a country. And I feel that the existing popular measures of how we're doing, things like the unemployment rate, the stock market, even health insurance coverage, are certainly useful and relevant but don't tell a full story of, of how people are doing and could perhaps explain things like the voting and political decisions that they make. Um, do you have any uh, brilliant insight or ideas on how we can do a better job of measuring how people are doing? You know, For example, I know other countries have a happiness index. I don't know. I'm not proposing that that's what we need, but I mean, are there ideas that are worth exploring in terms of figuring out um, the true status of, of where people are at in terms of their quality of life? That's another excellent question. Uh, well, I would focus on, to begin with, I would focus on wages. I, yeah, I've heard of these uh, happiness indexes, and they take into account lots of things. Um, I think infant mortality might be in there and longevity and many different health measures. 
But uh, for our country, especially, I would I would folk, I would think about uh, wages, you know, because we have had um, certainly rising uh, average incomes, but these incomes have not been distributed fairly across the population. So if you look at um, wages, especially middle income wages, and certainly well lower lower wages, as there's a chart in the Health Affairs article that demonstrates this. For middle-income wages, they've been flat for about 30 years or more. Uh, if you look at the lower 10% uh, bracket for wages, they've actually been falling. Now, this, this, um, I mean, adjusting for inflation. What I'm talking about here is, you know, you, these wages have to be adjusted for inflation. But for the typical um, American wage earner, they haven't experienced much, if any, increase over the past 30 or 40 years. Naturally, you're not going to be happy with that. And if you're in the lower 10% of the percentile, then you're going to be even more angry that that your wage over time has been falling. So I would definitely uh, consider that. The the other thing, of course, is that um, a lot of people that have been earning these wages, as they grow older, they they tend to compare themselves to their parents. And a lot of people's parents, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, there were rising income. There were rising wages. Okay, there were rising wages, and we have you know a general feeling of optimism, and things are going to get better. But then, uh, if you have an American worker that's uh, say 50, 55 years old, and has had stagnant wages for a period of 20 or 30 years, I don't know. Can we blame that person for being angry? Uh, you know, yeah. the the economy has not really paid off for that person the way. Uh, the way it has for their own parents. And so a lot of people will compare themselves to their parents and they come up short. And a lot of parents look at the generation that came after them and start asking questions about why this generation can't do the same thing that their generation did as if there's something wrong with the current generation. Yeah, yeah. People will blame the generation. I tend to blame the economy. I, uh, I would say, right. you know, there's something wrong, something happening in our economy that is not distributing the um, productivity growth and the generation of income broadly across the board the way we did in the late 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Working your way through college, for example, isn't isn't really a thing you can do at many or most colleges and universities today like you could, say, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, when tuition was much, much smaller, you're right. Right, right. Well, Paul Lee... Uh, Your research is fascinating. I'm really excited to see what you do next. So uh, thank you for your research, and thanks for being on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. There you have it. Conversation with J. Paul Lee of UC Davis. If you want to check out the original health affairs piece that he co-authored with Juwan Du, just Google health affairs and J. Paul Lee, his last name spelled L-E-I-G-H. Also, subscribe and rate us. I'd appreciate it. And a little secret for you. I got uh, some braces just a couple weeks ago. It's the, uh, it's the uh, Invisalign types. You can take them in and out. And I, I chickened out. I didn't do this podcast with the Invisalign in because I'm still working on my S's. Uh, but next pod, I think I'm going to be brave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the podcast with the Invisalign trays in and we'll see how embarrassing it is. And you can let me know what you think. All right, until next time. Mm-hmm.